Welcome to DevOps and Docker Talk. I'm your host, Brett Fisher. In this episode, my co-host, Nirmal Mehta, and I are joined by Josh Thurman and Grayson Atkins of Ufizi to talk about ephemeral environments in all their forms. You might call them preview environments, developer environments, or pull release environments, which is my favorite way to use these environments as a service. But regardless of the many ways to use ephemeral environments, it's great to see a growing set of tools in the cloud native community for automating the spinning up of fresh environments with Kubernetes manifests, Helm charts, or even Docker Compose YAML. Ufizi is using the open core model, meaning that the core part of their product is open source. This is an edited version of a live show from August, 2023. You can join our weekly YouTube live shows and be part of the conversation on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at brett.live. So please enjoy this episode with Josh Thurman and Grayson Atkins. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show. This is normal. And that's Brett. Let's bring in our mm -hmm. fr friends of the show. I don't have, we don't have an acronym for this show. Hello, friends. Hey. We got Grayson and there's Josh. And both of these fine gentlemen are from a company that I have been We've been working together while well, talking about stuff for what four or five At least years? A couple of years. Yeah. And I can't even remember how we met. We had a history in common. We were both in the Navy way back in the day. And we're both now in tech, which hopefully was the right career choice for us. That's right. And then you co-founded this company. And I learned about it from you, but it was something that I was very interested in because being in DevOps, one of the things we're constantly obsessed with is automation. And making everything between a code commit and production deployments faster, like that's kind of our jam. And you were trying to solve a part of this problem. So I thought I would, before we jump into like exactly the topic of the day, what can you give me like the elevator pitch for you, Feezy? For sure. So I won't go too far in the Wayback Machine, but uh, circa 2018, we were actually doing some private cloud stuff with, if anyone remembers Triton and like Join and that whole ecosystem and like bare metal containers. Yep. And of course the private cloud piece was good for a while, but obviously more people were going away from it. So we shifted into the core theme is, you know, making it easier for developers to access resources and particularly environments. We did some app hosting and then really kind of found our place in ephemeral environments. So we've been doing the compose based ephemeral environments for a couple of years now, really perfecting that. If you're a Compose lover, we got a great solution for you. You can take your Compose, extend it a little bit, and use it for preview environments. And then really due to a lot of demand from folks in the Kubernetes community, in the cloud-native community, wanting to use Helm, wanting to use Customize, Manifest, and have more capability, you know, we've taken a natural evolution, which is adding more capability to our platform, and, and we're rolling out you know, a platform for platform teams. So we provide sort of the three things you need for a platform, which is accessibility with guardrails for your developers, control management for your DevOps or platform team, and then cost effectiveness, which we do through virtualization and sort of lightweight container-based solutions. So, you know, this new rollout that we're doing now, we put a lot of thought into it. And what we realize is that, you know, the platform teams need control, but dev teams need autonomy. And trying to, you know, a fall of engineering is trade-offs. <laughs> we're trying to give people the best possible trade-offs, which is not having to give up too much. And so by being able to spin up self-service sandbox clusters, you get a really great K-native capability. They're virtual clusters, so they're light, they're cost-effective, they're fast, they spin up quickly. And it's something you can standardize across your teams. 
And then they can customize on top of that what they want to use, whether you could do machine learning ops, you can do dev environments, you can switch out your tooling. It's sort of future-proof in that regard. And so it's really the foundation which we're focusing platform teams can build from, you know, out of the box, they're getting multi-tenancy, getting the secure element and the accessibility with control. So anyways, we were, I think we're mostly going to talk about the virtual cluster capability today, but maybe reserves a little bit of time for the Compose too, because I know a lot of your audience likes that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a kind of a recurring theme here, right? Is that on this show, we are not all on Kubernetes for everything. And that's like the re the reality of the messy world of computing is that if we were all using the same thing, the, the clouds would be a lot less complex. AWS would have so few services necessary if we were all, if we were Thanks, all Kubernetes. Brad. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, yeah. Not a dig, not a dig. Yeah. It's just a lot. It's just a lot. Yeah, I was actually complaining right. that Cloudflare now is like Cloudflare, not even really a cloud is turning into a cloud and it's a lot and mm -hmm. Azure's a lot. And that's just because we have choice. So that challenge is like, how do we come up with tools like this that give people still choice without forcing everybody, you know, the round pegs into a square hole. So that's, you and I originally were talking about Compose. Like we met talking about Compose yeah. and I was very much like, make Compose awesome on, you know, environments as a service. And that's exactly right. what you all were doing. It was great. No. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we really spent the last couple of years, I'd say, I don't want to call it perfect, but we've been trying to perfect it and it's, it works really well for a lot of teams. You know, when you get into the weeds, it's more challenging than it might seem at first to take Compose and then, you know, translate it into, you know, on the back end, obviously it's running on Kubernetes. But the good news about it is like, you don't have to know Kubernetes at all if you want to use the Compose on our platform and and set up your ephemeral environments. That way you basically take your Compose file, add, a, add an extension for an ingress set some resource limits, and that's the core of it. We try to make it as simple as possible to kind of set up that at a capability. You know, a lot of teams are using it. You know, we have an open source program where we let certain projects preview for free on Ufizi. And there's about 15 projects. Backstage is probably one that your audience knows well. But And then there's, I can't remember the numbers. It's over 500 open source contributors who are active on Ufizi who are, you know, getting their PRs reviewed with our firmware environments. Obviously, we're, we're proud about that and happy to support in that regard. And then, you know, a number of companies, of course, as well, are using that capability. So, and then fast forward to today, and, and now we've got sandbox virtual clusters on the platform, which, you know, now people can bring bring their Helm, bring customize, you know, a lot of the files and formats they're already using. And we can support a much higher level of complexity, particularly, you know, as microservices creep up and, you know, the number of things you need to run an ephemeral environment to make it look as close to production as it can. I think even I'm recalling actually a conversation we had where you explained to me around the Compose file, you know, there is no ingress in Compose by default, at least in the Docker right. Compose that we all think about. And so you were, I think, explaining to me how you all sort of add extra YAML essentially to the, if I remember correctly, to the Compose file to sort of expand on what Docker's vision was originally so that it can work in places like preview environments and environments as a service. So, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, Compose is primarily used for uh, for local development, you know, and obviously some people use it in other capacities as well. But you know, that was the one probably major change that we need to make. And like, what's great, one thing we love is like the extension that you can do on Docker. It's quite easy to add, and then you know, add that ingress piece in there. So, so something in there has to receive your HTTP traffic and uh, you know, choose a service, and then expose that, and then and that's how you can run that now, obviously in the cloud, as opposed to on your local station where you're just maybe talking directly to all the containers. Yeah. 
Grayson, what's the, I don't know if there's a typical customer, <laughs> but what is the typical customer use like? I mean, uh, are they using a combination of Compose and Kubernetes? Are they using the command line or are they just focus on automating it and CI? How do they spin up these environments and what do they look like? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so really the theme across everything we're doing is about meeting teams where they are and using the tooling that they're already using, letting them use that tooling. You know, we're not into custom, you know, configurations that only work on Ufeasy. If your team's using Compose, if your team's using Helm or Customize, we want to meet you there. So it really depends. We've seen a mixed bag of teams. A lot of teams actually have come to us after trying to build out an environment or preview environment solution on their own. I remember a couple of conferences ago, we talked to a team from a major company and they were, had this, they had written custom configurations and scripting and a lot of things. And we said, well, why don't you just use, you know, our Docker Compose support? And it was like, like, oh, wow, that would be nice. Two years worth of work, could have, you could have saved us. So, you know, it's really a mixed bag. What I like about Compose is, you know, the ecosystem is so rich. There's so many people using it and they're using it for local development. And we really wanted to emulate that functionality in the cloud as well. So one of the great things about Compose on Ufezi is that everything is deployed in such a way that if your containers are talking you know, on your local machine or local host you know, to one another, we can actually replicate that exact same functionality in the cloud without changing any type of the networking. We do that through some special tunneling logic on the back end. So that way, you don't even have to change or compose all that much. Now, you didn't mention the ingress. You know, we, we do support this custom ingress field. It's a really small block that you can just add into your compose file. What's nice about Docker's Docker Compose's support for these these you know custom extensions is that if you run a Docker config or a Docker command on this file, it still is recognized as a valid compose file, even though it's got a, this you know non-standard piece to it it still complies with that specification. You know, back to your question about the types of teams. It's a lot of times it's teams who are struggling with, you know, it's a couple of things. One, it's like, hey, we've been pushing too many bugs to production. We're not catching things early enough in the development process. So part of it's just teams looking for, how can I get to a better, you know, quality gates during my release cycle? And Ufezi can definitely help with that. Another big piece we're helping with is a lot of teams are having to deal with this issue of, hey, we have a single static staging environment or a QA environment, and we've got all these developers on our teams, and they're all competing for this common resource. And depending on the structure of your team and your organization, you, you may have issues where you've got like code freezes, feature freezes, and you may have the schedule of being able to release new things to a staging environment, for example. And that certainly delays as an individual contributor, as the developer, you may have to wait before your feature can get bundled up with everybody else's features and deployed and tested in that way. And so what we think preview environments are really helpful for is teams really trying to solve these two issues of, hey, I want to have a self-service tool that I can stand up on my own without putting a support request in or having to wait for my feature to be bundled with everyone else's and delivering that on demand. Now, that, of course, comes with this other side of this coin, which is, hey, I'm a DevOps person or I'm a you know, platform engineering team member, and we have certain organizational policies, technical policies that they need to be followed and they need to be in place. And I don't just want to like let my development team run wild with the you know, mushroom farm of cloud infrastructure. And so that's why a big piece of what Ufezi does is we handle the full life cycle. And so that means... So from the creation step, whether that be through a CI/CD pipeline or manually from the CLI, 
you can create that environment, you can use that environment, you can continue to push updates, commits, and what, whatnot to that environment and see those live changes constantly refreshed. But then when you're done with that environment, you can close that pull request or you can trigger the manual delete command from the CLI and we'll tear it all down for you. So your administrators don't have to worry about you know, exploding cloud costs or scaling to infinity. They're, it's all kind of sandboxed in that way and we give you those sort of customization controls. So whether you're using Compose, whether you're using Kubernetes, it's really about that same, same set of challenges we're solving for folks. Can it adapt to different organizational structures? So you kind of mentioned this contention for test environments or staging environments between different teams, different parts of an organization, even within a single team, like different developers working on specific features. Does, does that flexi- is that flexibility built in to kind of adapt to different structures and also providing security and isolation between different teams? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, every team is a little different. And what we've often said before is like a lot of times the organization will sometimes mimic the application structure. And what I mean by that is if you've got a monolithic, you know, monorepo, your development team may look a little bit more monolithic. If you've got a microservices style application, your organization itself may resemble more a decentralized approach to development. UVC can serve both of those architectural styles. And in, in a way such that developers are not stepping on each other's toes. So and we can get to some of the details, but happy to talk about them. But the really the core feature, in addition to that lifecycle management that Ufizi provides, is strong isolation between each one of these environments, as well as role-based access control and some other forms of control around the workloads. So when you're deploying, whether it be a Compose environment or a virtual cluster on Ufizi, that is your environment. It is completely isolated from all your other team members. There's no data sharing. There's no, they're not talking in, in any way, whether it be at the hardware level, you know, or at the network level. And so what this really allows teams to do is whether they're a monolithic style or more of a distributed team, I can deploy, for example, my application, my branch. I can add some test data to my application and test my specific function in the way that I need it, need to without me having to worry about affecting one of my other teammates' development environment. And so that really is huge because if anybody listening has ever been in like a test or QA role or anything like that, you know that data accumulation is a thing. So I can see artifacts essentially or accumulated data from previous tests. And so I don't know whether the bug I'm seeing is caused from a bug in my code, or whether it's some sort of artifact of the data that was done before, or maybe it was a commit from another team member. And so triaging what the problem is, is greatly simplified if you can just have you know, a single branch, your test data, and nothing else polluting it. And so yeah. really that helps you out a lot, yeah. Yeah, we're, as platform teams and as different development teams, it's sometimes we hold on to that data because we're afraid that it's needed to uh, figure out some kind of bug in the future, or uh, we're not really good at cleaning up after ourselves. So that's a a great feature of making sure that the platform is used cost-effectively. I mean, it wasn't really that long ago that we had teams of people managing temporary environments. We didn't didn't even use ephemeral or these fancy words, Mm -hmm. preview environment. I just, I mean, it wasn't that long ago I was working with companies trying, you know, they, they were excited about containers because it was going to mean that these temporary environments didn't take one of their DevOps engineers two days to build, right? Mm -hmm. Because they were going to build it by hand. They maybe had some Jenkins jobs, would maybe set up some stuff, but it wasn't fully automated. And of course, 
there was always a part of the job that was broke because maybe the seeding of the database didn't always work or there was always something. And so you would have to put in a support ticket if you were a salesperson or if you, I mean, forget PRs. Like that was a PR preview environments weren't even really possible unless you were Netflix. And so you were asking a team to build it with a support ticket and you needed a couple of days advance notice. They were going to have to manually create a URL for the internet so you could access it. And it might be for a sales team or a pre-sales team kind of thing, or it might be for a support team because they had a customer with a problem on the product and they needed to recreate that exact version. And I just remember so many complexities that we're all now kind of drilling this down. I mean, we're talking today about it's a one-liner. <laughs> like if you get it all dialed in, yeah. it's maybe just automatic or it's maybe one line or it's a, it's 20 minutes and it hopefully is completely automated so that you don't even need a human involved, that the person who needs the environment is deploying the environment. And that's just, we've done that in less than five years, I feel like, as an industry. Yeah, we saw so many people who were rolling their own solutions. We talked to like countless teams. Everybody was doing a little different. Nobody was really happy with what they'd done. If you really pressed them, it was like, well, yeah, we have that. And it's like, well, actually, it doesn't work that great. Or <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forty team shut it down, and we're like, "Why are we out here reinventing the wheel over and over?" And so yeah. that was a impetus for us open sourcing the core of UPV. Was hey, if you need those lifecycle triggers, if you need the standing up the environments, let's try to come up with some sort of standard. You know, whether it be UPV or or something. But this is a common problem across all organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, so also I think that was really an impetus for us saying like, "Hey, let's coalesce around a solution, so teams don't have to keep re- re- reinventing the wheel." Yeah. You know? Yeah, I remember one case where they were a little bit more secure organization. You know, production was obviously behind a lot of firewalls. So in order to really access anything in production, you needed to be in a special team with VPN. And then the preview environments weren't allowed to be there. So they were in another AWS VPC that I think was actually a completely different account. And you had to have special VPN to get to that because they didn't really know how to surface anything up to the internet in a safe way. So you had to be on that VPN, and that usually meant that a lot of people didn't have access to that. So you had to know somebody who had to get, I mean, there was just so many levels beyond just how do I deploy my containers? There were so many other levels, esoteric limitations and restrictions that it was a real burden for them. And it really, basically, it, I, for them, I saw significant delays in supporting customers, selling to customers, and then just getting PRs approved because the environments were always a lagging, the environments were after the, all the work was done and then days later, eventually people would get access. So you would, you pretty much guaranteed the day that you were ready for everyone to test, assuming you have manual human testers, that whatever week you were in was not the week it was going to be approved because you, ne- you had like days of lag before anything. And it was just a, it was a real pain. I mean, there's no amount of Jenkins scripting can solve some of these issues when you have fundamental sort of infrastructure automation problems, I guess. And there was usually only one or two people that even knew how this stuff worked. So mm-hmm. they couldn't they couldn't help. And that's one of the reasons I was kind of, if I got to pick for today, I was saying, let's do a GitHub Actions pull request experience, because that's something I think so many people deal with is whether they're using GitHub or GitLab or whatever, they've got a pull request experience they, in a lot of cases, they would love to have something spun up, even if it's just for smoke testing. That's something we can talk about what that even means. And the, it's rare that I run into a team that doesn't want it when I say, hey, do you, do, while we're doing this GitHub Actions automation thing, would you like to have automatic 
Kubernetes and Compose previews spun up and tested. And I mean, everyone's always going to say yes, I feel like, to that scenario. <laughs> Josh, uh, we were having a conversation earlier this week. And I, when I first got into GitHub Actions, right, I would like many other modern SaaS CI platforms, you know, they had, they provide their own runners. You have these, what they call them, the public runners. And mm -hmm. of course, uh, those of us that have remember the days of being on Jenkins and having to maintain all your own runners and being forced to do that because there wasn't a cloud option, you know, it was always a challenge because we would end up having to build different types of nodes because, mm -hmm. or different size nodes, because different tests required different size of resources and you would have these really big servers, but you reserve those for the special testing. I had a team that had 200,000, actually maybe it was only 100,000, 100,000 Ruby tests they had to run on Ooh. every pull request commit. Sorry. And yeah, by default, it took an hour. And so we were building larger and larger machines, spreading things out asynchronously, but it always required special hardware. So we would reserve that hardware only for that test. No one else was allowed to use that. Mm -hmm. And actions came along and I was excited because I could just stop doing a lot of that. But you brought up a good point around like the limitations of built-in runners. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of teams in the Kubernetes testing space, they want to obviously spin up a cluster, even like a lightweight virtual cluster kind or K3S or however, whichever one you want and run their test. The problem with doing it in the GitHub Actions where you don't have complete control over the runners, typically they're under-resourced. So you, you might pass a few smoke tests or some basic tests, but any time you go to some higher level testing and really sort of ramp up your automated testing, the test results are going to get extremely flaky. The other sure, there's just, there's some limitations on how long that runner is going to persist. Right. And so like, if you want to go do some after action or dig in and check the logging, things like that, that's really difficult or impossible. And the third piece is networking. If you want to test your ingresses, your traffic, that type of thing, quite difficult to do in a runner as opposed to a, I call it a real environment, but a, a, <laughs> a, a, what is real? a cluster that operates for all intents and purposes, like your production cluster, right? So it's a step in realism higher when you're running a Ufizi cluster versus running it on a GitHub runner. You're running a full virtual cluster, which handles about 95% of use cases that like you're going to run on your production cluster and it can scale and you can resource it effectively so that your tests run, you know, really consistently. Yeah. So that you mentioned brittleness, that's really at the core of this is trying to remove the brittleness from the testing flow. Mm -hmm. Like you were mentioning those complex Jenkins jobs, definitely guilty of building those and taking on the challenge, thinking I could automate the world right. with Jenkins and making really kludgy, brittle workflows and still not mimicking reality. So getting closer to a production environment, the real network traffic, the real compute that's needed, and also removing some of that brittleness is kind of the goal, it sounds like. Yeah, for flaky, sure. That's exactly right. Flaky tests are the worst. There needs to be like a website of like flaky tests suck. And just like, yeah. it's all of the horror stories of people like, yeah, we spent two days troubleshooting a thing that was actually the CI environment, not our code. Like that happens. We've all got scars from that. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah and I, I do want to say too that, you know, get them actions. I don't want to dog too much on Jenkins and get them actions and other things, but. Oh, know, we love need, to hate on Jenkins. We're okay with that here. <laughs> there's a lot of people still clinging tight to Jenkins, or at least they're, they've been committed. They're pot committed yeah. to Jenkins. So, you know, Yufizi supports 
really any CI provider. What's nice is we, the CLI, and we'll show you this in the actions, GitHub actions, but, you know, essentially it's just wrapping our CLI. And so you can do the same thing on GitLab CI, on Jenkins, on, on Bitbucket, CircleCI, and others. So really, it's about just like being able to drop this component directly into that pipeline and really offloading the complicated logic away from the scripting, the module, custom module things, and more towards service where all that's kind of built in yeah. without... Yeah, for you. A purpose built rather than a homegrown. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing about Jenkins though, is we love to dog on it, but it, there's a reason it was, it's been number one for so long, right? It's because it can do yeah. anything and you can make it do anything and you just have to suffer with the consequences. So, you know, well, I'm always excited when I see a purpose built tool that we can plug and play, which is the second week in a row I've used plug and play, which I don't know if these new kids know what that origin of that term came from, but that was a long What's time ago. What's plug and play, Brett? What's plug and play? <laughs> just kidding. I just wanted to mention, because I was poking around your website, that I found oh. I found this page on the Definitive Guide to Preview Environments. I'm guessing that you had to create this for yourselves because you probably had people coming in saying, what exactly is a preview environment and what isn't? So I was kind of skimming it going, yeah, yeah, I, I can see why that the definition needs to be well thought out because a lot of people probably think they have them but maybe don't quite have all of the components. They don't maybe see, they don't do the hybrid situation. So I put this link in chat for people. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, we definitely had to, I mean, there's a lot of education aspects of it too, because the community has different perceptions of what the, these terms mean. And like, it's, you know, there's preview environments, there's ephemeral environments, environments as a service. People, some people just call them custom environments, on-demand environments, and dynamic environments. Those are all things we've turned. They all effectively mean they're all in the same family, but when you got to get down to the weeds to understand like exactly what that means. We've tried to help define that, obviously, for the community, or at least certainly what it means from our perspective, which to make it easier to adopt. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of learnings, too, with dealing with ephemeral environments. There's some things, especially around data and uh, you know, state, that you have to manage and have to be, have some clever ways of handling that. And we've got some game plans or some action item kind of things you can look for in your organization of like, hey, are, are ephemeral environments right for me? You know, what about this? What about that? We had some questions on Twitter yesterday kind of related to that. And what about external services? What about secrets? There's a lot of detailed questions that we had to solve ourselves because we dogged through UFEZ ourselves. So we had to answer these tough questions. And so we wanted to put out some reports and some strategies for how other teams can all suit. Nice. Hey, listeners, in this edited version of the show, we skipped the demo. So if you wanted to see that part, then check out the live stream replay link in the show notes. Now back to the show. To give you a bit more understanding of how this is work, working architecturally. So Ufizi API is a Ruby on Rails application that's installed on the host cluster. And that then talks to a Ufizi controller. That's a Golang application. And that Go application then has a service account set up through the Kubernetes master API. And then it can communicate with that master API and create services as, as they're Requests are received. We also have a operator that we've implemented so that that allows so the cluster can, once it gives those, it defines the U cluster custom resource definition, that operator will es essentially kick in the gear and actually implement those services that are being defined here. Just so, so that everyone is clear, and I know this is in the name, but this cluster doesn't, it's not like a new Kubernetes cluster, like on hardware. This is running on top of an existing 
Kubernetes cluster, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I should clarify that. So, so Ufizi is, is virtualizing these clusters. So you can install Ufizi on a physical or, or a host cluster, and Ufizi will provision a namespace per cluster, and then will install a full installation of Kubernetes within that namespace. So Got we're it. actually locating the control plane that includes the API server as well as the other Kubernetes resources. And this is a there's a big advantage of doing this over data plane virtualization. So without going into too much detail, with the data plane, you're only replicating sort of the data resources, which means that if you're trying to do this in a multi-tenant fashion, so for example, let's say I'm a platform team and I want to provide virtualized clusters to my team. If I'm just replicating the data plane, I'm having to manually implement resource sharing, quotas, permissions, and roles, all that, essentially having to re-implement a lot of what the API server, the Kubernetes API server is giving you. But by essentially clapping an entire installation of Kubernetes into the, these namespaces, you're getting all that, that management out of the box. And so if you have something like Cert Manager on the main cluster and external secrets and AWS slow balancer controller, is part of that being copied into this virtual cluster? to mimic the production environment? Yeah, so if you've got a collection of manifests or Helm charts or whatever, just about everything in there can be applied and used in, okay. in this cluster. So it looks, smells, feels, tastes just like Kubernetes. So your developers, you, or you as a developer, you really don't know the difference that, that you're not running in a physical or a host cluster. There are some limitations. We don't allow access to the underlying compute nodes. Of course, that kind of breaks the multi-tenancy model if we allowed that. But for the vast majority of use cases, everything across the, the surface area of Kubernetes is supported. Yeah, there's our application we, we define. It's, it's dynamically giving me the my cluster in there. So I didn't have to send any of that. And so if I make any changes on here, the, any data changes, all of these are going to persist just for the lifetime of this virtual cluster. So by nature, these are designed to be ephemeral. So I'm going to be doing my testing within here. When I tear this down, all this will be deleted. Of course, you can, if you want to, configure things to maybe do a syncing to an external cloud service. Maybe I can want to sync data to an S3 bucket or something. All that's configurable because, again, you still have access to the cluster. You can deploy extra resources through kubectl. But we make it really easy to like completely clean everything up just by deleting like, this cluster. Yeah, a related question we have. Is the preview environment open to the world or is it behind a Ufizi auth? Yeah, that's a great question. So out of the box, it's open to the world. That's part of what's included in the open source version of Ufizi. Enterprise and Ufizi SaaS offer some business functionality. So you things like role-based access, but one of those is password-protected environments. So we are we do offer that currently for our docs-composed environments, and we're rolling out a solution for virtual clusters as well for teams that, hey, it's like, hey, I don't want to expose these services publicly. Now, of course, a lot of applications have some sort of like login functionality, which which offers an additional layer of access control. But we know that some teams want to be adding a, a Ufizi off layer, and that's going to be rolling out here shortly. So, so yeah, great question. Yeah, I was curious, how does this change if you're testing something that's Kubernetes, but it maybe doesn't have a web front-end component? I mean, is that, I'm just trying to think, imagine, like, how does that change? Did they, if there's no ingress even listed, I guess you're not posting a URL and describing yeah, so. Yeah, and so so we're describing an application here that has a front end, but it doesn't have to. Maybe you're deploying just an API or just a type of service. Again, because it's Kubernetes, you can be talking to 
an API endpoint, and you can run, again, Cypress tests. These can be Cypress tests that are hitting an API endpoint. Again, it's just some type of endpoint there, or they may be communicating over TCP and doing some other type of test in that way. So by giving folks like the full Kubernetes experience, the same type of testing and, and types of applications are still supported. Yeah. And so to, you don't have to expose anything. We've chosen to expose these ingresses in the comment, right? You could just have the, the only way you can get this kubeconfig is by through the Ufezi CLI based on role-based access. So if you're the person who opened this PR, like we know that, or if you're like an admin on the count, those are the only people who can access this. So you could you can log in, of course, and then run your test that way. There's some good tooling around that, which I'll do a plug for TestQ because we think it's a great tool that runs Kubernetes tests and we'll have like a, a integration with them pretty soon. But those are some other ways you can do it without having to expose any endpoints. Yeah, I actually had to learn about this from, from you because I didn't, yeah. I had not heard of TestQ. It's a, it's a great tool. It's growing in use and there's a lot of natural synergies between what we're doing and them. So we expect to have an integration, I would say maybe in the next month with them. Yeah, that, that's a good point about Josh. The reason Ufizi is letting me access this cluster is because I'm a member of this account. We've got members on our team here who would have various roles and permissions and, and I can... As an admin, I can add or remove people. And so if you've got somebody who's left your team, but you remove that access, they no longer have access to that cluster because that UVs is not going to allow, it's not going to allow that connection. So, And it's one more like, so we pull the permissions from GitHub and GitLab. So you don't have to repeat those on our platform. So whatever you set up there, they map on to Ufizi, which is something we try to do just as a convenience. Nice. And is that PR number how consecutive runs of this workflow get identified to the particular Ufizi environment? Is that, or that's one of the ways, I guess? Or Yeah, we're naming these clusters based on the PR. You can name them based on whatever you want. But that way, it makes it easy if, for example, if you're in the Ufizi UI, you can figure out which, which one is associated with which PR. Yeah, because um, I've had to do this the hard way on GitHub Actions, where I've, like we talked about earlier, I've set up a... K3S, a cluster, I've waited for health checks to pass or whatever. But anytime I was going to do long-term testing or long-running testing on it, I never got a GitHub Action Runners stop as soon as the job stops. So, I mean, they technically get destroyed, the public ones. And so I would never really get a chance to debug the cluster or to dive in and see anything. I only had the GitHub Action logs when that PR run was done. And I'm not usually sitting around waiting for the PR. I mean, nobody, nobody's got time yeah. for that. So I have to remember that this is actually a long living, in the, this use case, we're talking about a long living environment that outlives the individual runs of my commits and is available for whatever I need to do with it after the fact, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly right. You can, I can connect to this exact one that was created from GitHub Actions, but from my local workstation. So I can run all those. <clears throat> this again goes back to meeting teams where they are. It's like, hey, if you're using kubectl, you're using Helm, you're using Customize. You can use those same tools, bring your own tooling, and, and talk to these clusters. Again, because they are, for all practical purposes, they are real clusters. Ufizi is just really providing a convenience for the networking and the role-based access and the, the lifecycle triggers as well. Yeah. But otherwise, you're in control, so do what you want with them. I should mention, by the way, for those listening to the audio podcast, we were talking about the uh, accessing this cluster or any endpoints or whatever you need to do in the cluster. And regardless of all the other options you have with Ufizi, Adam was mentioning that you could always use Cube Control Port Forward or any standard Cube Control command line or tooling there because these are real Kubernetes clusters. So yeah, that's yeah. right. 
Yeah. And then I'll come back to your question earlier. What are the other triggers? So I mentioned, I demonstrated how to do that from the CLI. I can also merge this or close the PR. Either one is going to tear that, that environment down. Because we've got this delete action. Let's say we, we tested this. I'm looking at the hardware application now. Again, we've already defined a Ufizi cluster delete action. So we're watching for that GitHub event. It's telling this workflow to kick off this job and it's going to delete that cluster. So this way, you really don't have to worry about orphaned environments and, and things just persisting long-term. And yet another problem of years gone by of sales environments that live for three months and no one ever picks, cleans them up or, you know, epics closing or merging. And then the, someone's now getting a support ticket to manually go tear it all down and they don't get every single piece of the puzzle. Yeah. But something that I was curi curious about before real quick is the last question, because I know we're running out of time is what happens, what do teams do when they don't have everything in Kubernetes. I mean, we're talking about GitHub Actions here that I wanted to keep focus on. What do they do? Like if they need some RDS behind the scenes or they need a, a Lambda emulate, you know, are they using emulation with like the local stack? Yeah. Are they? So yeah, local stack is the go-to just because, I mean, we've gone down the route of everything is containerized here, which it, it makes it fast and it makes it lightweight. And that's the route we've chosen. You know, there's other tools, of course, where you can automate Terraform and, and stand up those instances. And those work great and they're good for certain teams. The drawbacks, the trade-off for those is it might take 20 to 30 minutes to stand up AWS managed services and like get them all connected and get your VPC and all that working. Mm -hmm. And then, and that also has like a tendency to be a little bit flaky too. So, and you may have to go debug the setup piece, but so like that's a way, there's a way you can do that and get the real services. But so certainly folks on Ufizi use local stack to emulate S3 or SQS or like whatever the common services might be. Of course, RDS is Postgres and people do that. So, yeah, well, so. we get a whole category of questions related to this. If I can add to that a little bit, is it's like, what about my database? What about this service, mm -hmm. PubSub service? I think we got a question about recently. What about this, that, or the other? And I would really encourage people to think, like, well, how do you solve that problem locally? If you're developing locally, what are you doing about your database? Are you running a local instance? You're seeding data. Are you connecting? Hopefully, you're not connecting to your production database. You know, so so if you can kind of think about it in that sense, like how are you probably solving this problem locally and map that on to to a cloud or ephemeral environment? It's kind of conceptually how you can think about solving some of these problems. To that end, are you able to provision virtual clusters on multiple Kubernetes clusters, like at the same within the same? kind of project or kind of environment? So for Ufizi, if you want to self-host or use our managed service, you can install Ufizi on any number of clusters that you want. I think out-of-the-box support, I don't think, we don't yet support saying like, hey, I want to add an infinity role or tag this workload for that cluster. I think that's something we're looking at, especially with things like ML, machine learning workloads. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. It has GPUs on it. I want to run this workload on a GPU cluster that is ahead of on a roadmap that we're looking to implement hopefully gotcha. soon. Well, yeah. So there's some, definitely some exciting things that we're, we want to continue to build on. And that's up there. Cool. Nice. Well, I put a link on how to get started. So I don't know. I'm not sure if we were very clear at the beginning. There's definitely open source components to this, right? Can you talk about what someone can download today or get started with today? Yeah, absolutely. So Ufizi, we're open for business, whether it be the open source model, their SaaS offering, or our hosted or managed service. So whatever appetite you have, the open source is great if you want the core functionality of Ufizi. Those cluster actions, preview actions, both for Docker Compose and for clusters, 
are all open source. That's kind of an open core model. So the core of the preview functionality is open. The two proprietary services, the SaaS version and the enterprise offering, that layers on business functionality. So things like better role-based access controls, those password-protected environments, a sleep function. So if you're self-hosting this and you want Ufizi environments to go to sleep and not be burdened through your own resources that you're paying for, we also offer that functionality as well. The SaaS solution is probably the easiest way to get started. If you follow our quick start guide, you literally just have to download the CLI and run Ufizi login or even open a PR from our quick start guide on GitHub and you're going to get an account automatically created for you and you're going to be able to start playing with Ufizi that way. And of course, if your organization requires a self-hosted installation, you know, that's an option as well too. So we're happy to talk about that with folks. If they want to join our Slack, we can discuss the details there. Yeah, I was just going to... so. Definitely the quickest is, so we have a starter tier for any new account. So you can set up a personal or org account and you can have run two concurrent environments. They do go to sleep and are deleted after time. But uh, the purpose is, well, small teams or people who just want to learn and play with it. And then also you can set up your proof of concept before you have to put your credit card in. So make sure that you're happy with it. And lastly, I'll just say like, if you're having issues, join our Slack. We've got a growing community and a lot of helpful people in there. So we can help you get your, your issues solved. Perfect. And of course, with the question just under the radar, the last question, I'm going to see if I can answer it based on what I've learned today. It says, I have two GitHub projects, one front end and an API, and I want to preview the front end environment, but it depends on the API. Will Ufizi be able to spin up the API whether I PR my front end? My thought is yes, because if you have a Helm chart or a customize, my, my favorite is customize. And if that's how you're defining these environments, if we're talking about Kubernetes, did they say Kubernetes? They didn't say Kubernetes, but let's say it's even Compose. If you have those things, you're just really telling Ufizi about that infrastructure YAML, right? And then it's going to pull whatever it needs to do that, right? The images pre-built from the other repository. I'm actually guessing here, but I'm going to see hey, if I'm right. No, <laughs> you. we just pull in whatever images you tell us, right? So yeah. whether it's the one you just built or the one that's in your container registry or... And so, yeah, you can absolutely do that. You open the PR on the front end and then you pull in, you just say which API image you want to run into, which is probably maybe a certain version or maybe even your latest. And now that's how actually a lot of, I mean, several teams do that. Yeah. yeah. Some instructions in our docs about how you can like front end and back end. Each environment has access to a, an environment variable, Ufizi URL. And so, for example, if your front end needs to talk to your back end, it can make that available. And so that, that React front end or whatever can talk to your API endpoint. Good. Perfect. Thanks for that technical question at the end. Love it. So thank you so much for both being here, Grayson and Josh. And of course, Nermal, this has been a great show. Obviously, I'm excited about pull requests and automating smoke tests, all the environment things. That's why I made a title of this show, like PR environments for everything, because I think a lot of us, not everything, obviously CLI tools maybe can't have a preview environment if you're building a Go CLI or something. But I mean, a lot of us, I think, really need a simpler automated solution, whether it's on our own hardware or in the cloud for setting up these ephemeral environments for a lot of different use cases that I've dealt with over the years, not just PRs, obviously. And I'm excited that you all have continued the pace of adding features and functionality. And I'm looking forward to the test cube stuff. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next one.